The 70th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Just going to warn you guys, that might be the most excited I sound all during this episode. As Anthony and I are back, we're going to take you through Carolina's 78-73 defeat last night at Notre Dame. Go through the box score. We got three quotes of the game for you guys. You're going to hear from the head coach of the Tar Heels and two players stat of the game, uh, and just some more general thoughts on the game. But, buddy, a rough night last night as Carolina down three players, Dawson Garcia out with a concussion, and then Justin McCoy and Kerwin Walton both out due to COVID-19 protocols. Carolina on the road, shorthanded. And you would think by the final score of 78-73, to Oh, team was shorthanded. They fought hard, just came up a little bit short. That wasn't the case. Um, Carolina, for the now third time in 14 games, uh, lacked uh, the defensive intensity, the energy, and the toughness that is required to win at this level. They didn't value taking care of the basketball. They took as many bad shots in the first half as they had in any game all season. The... Tennessee loss and the Kentucky loss were bad in their own right, but this one has its has a place too. Of the four losses, it wasn't a good loss last night for Carolina as they fall to ten and four on the season and two and one in the ACC. Yeah, I'm shocked you're actually going to me this early here. I was uh, warned going into the podcast that this could be a while before I. Uh I was to speak, make so make I was the mo- make the most of your time. I mean, yeah, I will. Un- un- unlike some of the guys that we saw out there last night, I will. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, it it wasn't. It was not a great showing from them. And you know, this is this is becoming sort of the nature of this team. And it's it's concerning, but at the same time, I think it's just we we figured we said. What was it? Probably about two or three podcasts ago now that we didn't really know the identity of this team. But I think we know the identity of this team right now. It's that they're inconsistent as hell. That's exactly what it is. They are going to be a team. 13 laps. That's going to be a team that is going to show up each night and you are not going to have any idea which team will take the court for the Tar Heels. It's, it's honestly mind-blowing. And again, it's happening away from home. It's, it's, almost, it's almost unbelievable. The parallels in Carolina's two most talked about athletic programs this year. The fact that they are just two completely different teams on the road than they are at home. It, it, it's... It doesn't make any sense to me. And last night, the most frustrating part about last night is we've seen this recipe before with Notre Dame. This Mm. is how they played you all of last year. This is how they've played you since they joined the ACC. Well, especially, look, they used to, as we talked about, they used to have Zach August inside who would give you some trouble on the interior. Now they don't even have that guy. They are literally just killing you from the outside. That's the only way that they're going to beat you. And they did it to you last night. 
And the most the, the other part that just drove me nuts that you've talked about is there were just not the adjustments that needed to be made. They weren't made quick enough. Well, no, they weren't made at all. And we're gonna I'm gonna really get into that a little bit later uh, in the show. If you if you guys have made the decision to follow me on Twitter at HTB Josh, you're probably regretting it. That, that, but stick it out. This was that was a big part of my and I'll call it. I was on a Twitter rant last night. No. From about the middle part of the first half until I went to bed, which was after midnight. It was also a legitimate rant because I, as we've done for every game so far this year, we do a little four corners uh, talk session during during the uh, during the games. So yeah, it wasn't, folks. It was bad on Twitter. It wasn't pretty in the talk session either. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, and, and you know, last night was a lot. It was it was very frustrating because you left Sunday thinking, okay, you went on the road, you took care of a lesser opponent in dominant fashion, and we knew coming in, okay, Boston or Notre Dame is going to give you a better challenge. They've got more talent. They've got a topper half coach in the in the conference. Mike Bray's a really good coach. He's proven that. It's just not easy to win at Notre Dame. But you still thought, okay, they've they've taken that next step into becoming the second best team in the ACC. They're rounding into form. And it was like everything that they did right on Sunday in those 72 hours that existed from the time that game finished up to the time that game started, they didn't carry over. Did this not look like kind of what you may have expected in the game against Boston College coming off as long? This this looked like a layoff game. This looked like a team that hadn't played in almost two weeks. But it wasn't. It was a team that had just played three days prior. That's what made no sense to me because Notre Dame was the team coming off of the long layoff and they looked more ready to go than you did. They looked like a team that thought because what's on the front of their jersey reads North Carolina, well, they were going to win because of North Carolina. And look, I've watched many of those games with Roy Williams as, as, as the head coach. With teams that won the nat that won a national championship, with teams that didn't even win the national championship, but they were just more gifted. Carolina's more gifted than Notre Dame. They always have been, and they forever will be. But last night didn't mean more to Carolina than it meant to Notre Dame, and that was evident. And as I have stressed, really since the Tennessee game, and then in the Kentucky game, and then after this game. We're not good enough to not play to as close to our potential for 40 minutes and win. We've got talent. We've got experience. We've got depth. But we're still not to that level of we can take possessions off and it not bite us in the rear end. We can't we can't not do the little things and still expect to win. And I know that's got to be frustrating for Hubert Davis because he doesn't think he should have to coach effort. But that's it's like where we were with this team last year and even in 2019 before the even with the injuries and before the injuries. You were stuck in that mode of I've got to coach my kids to play hard. He's having to coach his kids not only play hard, but to freaking care. And I think that's where we get the most frustrated as fans. Well, here, here's here's the thing about that. If you've got to coach that, I'm here to break it to you. This team ain't winning a national championship. You can't. There is no way that you as players can't bring the emotion, the want to, the care to the court and or or not bring it night in and night out and expect to win a title. That's just not going to happen. It's not even I don't even care about winning a title. Well, but you, you, but that's one of the ultimate goals of Carolina. Well, you could throw that out the window. And, 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 and that's not going to happen. They're not going to be 
ACC regular season champions with no. that mindset. They're not. Honestly, you're lucky if you make the tournament with that mindset. And you would make it because you've got that much talent. But I think some of these dudes, it's this simple. I think some of these dudes need to wake the hell up. 14 laps. Like, I, I don't understand what more you need as motivation. What have you seen from this team in the last now two and a half years that proves to you that you just get everything handed to you at Carolina? You're going to find a way to get into the tournament. You're going to find a way to win 20 games a season. That's not happening anymore. These teams around you in college basketball have gotten a lot better. So, yeah, you've got to bring it night in and night out. And there are games like this, and, and this one is the most frustrating. And don't give me the thing of, well, they had they, they had three guys out of the out of the lineup. Okay, yeah, that that probably played a factor. Which you, w- you still should have beaten this team. Well, which sorry, which would still with that going with that factor, you would think, okay, I'm shorthanded. I'm without a starter in Dawson Garcia. Who, who people have told me, by the way, not that big of a contributor. Well, and you saw last night, we, we missed Dawson Garcia. You missed Kerwin Walton, who was getting back to the Kerwin Walton that we saw last year. He's getting more into the rhythm, becoming more and more part of this team. And look, Justin McCoy doesn't do a whole lot, but there's a role for him on this team. So you'd think without those three guys, everyone would know we got to raise our level of play, our level of sense of emergency, as Hubert Davis says, instead of sense of urgency. And effort, attitude, toughness, all those things, they they need to be heightened because you're shorthanded. And it was the exact opposite. And that that was one of the most frustrating things. As we take a look at the box score, and look, as we go through the box score, there's going to be some stats that are going to make you go, how did Carolina lose the game? Do you want to – oh, Okay. I was going to say, if there are some ugly stats, you can scream. Um, it's okay. And, and so we'll start. Carolina for the game outshot Notre Dame 49% compared to 48%. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carolina was 29 of 59. Notre Dame was 29 of 61. And that was with Carolina in that first half, particularly Brady Manick and Caleb Love. Taking bad shots, taking ill-advised shots, shots that weren't within the offense. Oh, my gosh. Dude, uh, let, let me just throw this out there real quick. This is the first time this year where I've watched this team go up the court, and I've literally just put my hands in, in or, or my head in my hands and just said, what are we doing? This was the most, in the first half, mm. that was the most rush shots that I've seen so far this season, where guys, I mean, literally walking into the front court, going iso ball with a couple of dribbles and taking shots. And and I, I don't understand why that was the mindset at all, especially with the fact that the dude inside that you thought would have a big game was having a big game. Yep. Carolina shot 36% from behind the three-point line. A little bit below their average, but 8 of 22, not bad. Caleb Love was 3 of 6 from three. R.J. Davis, 3 of 7 from behind the three-point line. Um, but Notre Dame, 13 of 31, 42%. Nate Lachesky, 20 points, 6 of 7 from behind the three-point line. Notre Dame, if you take away his six made threes, Notre Dame shot 29% from behind the arc. So effectively, effectively, the one guy that you knew coming into the game was capable of beating you because he almost beat you last year in your building. He's and, done it to you for how long? And now? he beat you. He he beat you literally on a with a buzzer beating shot two years ago. Ugh. That same guy, the guy that you knew could had that capability of doing what he did to you last night. You still didn't take him away. It's just not going to happen at this point. Uh, like, seriously, is this, it, it, uh, is he coming back next year? Please, God, tell me no. Because I believe so. Because they, because of the COVID year, uh, uh, Prentice Hub, founder of the university, could be back next year if he wants to because of the extra COVID year. They're all listed. Isn't he a junior? As, yeah, they're all listed as redshirt juniors. No, no. I think that's – he may have two more years possibly. Well. <laughs> but I don't care about – 
the fact that you have not figured out that you need to do something different on Lashesky and look, you can't say, well, it's a first-year head coach. He was on the staff. Well, yeah, he, he saw this he, happen to him. He's seen this guy really, really dismantle you for the last two so, plus seasons. Free throw line, Carolina seven of eight, so they were effective, but you didn't get there enough. Uh, Notre Dame was seven of eleven. Um, that was a that was, and I think that goes back to the first half. And we're going to get into this when you hear some comments from Caleb Love. Carolina wasn't aggressive enough in the first half, unless that guy was named Armando Baycott. He carried you in the first half with 16 points. Turnovers, though, bit this team in the butt again. Carolina, 14 turnovers. Entered the game only averaging 12.4. They had gotten to my magic number. But as I we talked about in the preview, the possessions are going to be limited. Now, the game got to 70 possessions, but it got to it. Didn't exceed it. Well, those 14 turnovers feel more like 18 or 20 turnovers. And what did Notre Dame do? They scored 19 points off of those turnovers. So you look at the three-point disparity and the points off of turnovers. And the turnover disparity. And that's where 14. Carolina got beat. You had 14 and yeah, that's not that's not great. You'd like to protect the ball a little bit more, especially with the fact that the possessions were lower. But you only created seven. Yep. So when that happens and they're doubling you up in that category, you you better be extremely efficient from the field. And the other thing with the with, with the turnovers, just untimely turnovers as well. Well, and and your two best players committed eight of them. Love and Baycott oh. both had four. Goodness. And neither one of them. And look, for Baycott, you can extend because he's, he's a post player. But neither one of them had an assist either. So it was they were minus in the assist to turnover margin in a really bad way. Carolina, as you expected, dominated the glass 39 to 27. Armando Baycott um, with 17 rebounds. He now has five straight double doubles. He has 10 in the first 14 games. Um, he's, he's becoming a double double machine. If you listen to the episode of Isaac Shade, he had a great uh, stat about double-doubles in Carolina history, the kind of pace he's on and what he's doing right now for Carolina. Um, But they only had five offensive rebounds. They got nine second-chance points off those offensive rebounds. Um, But just not enough in that department. Notre Dame's bench outscored Carolina's bench 14-5. That, not surprising because no Garcia. Manic moves into the starting lineup. Manic's been your scoring for most of the year off the bench anyway. Points in the paint, 32-22. Again, favor of Carolina, which led me or had me confused as to why. And I got why. And I get you're down 10-12 points. But when there's 12 minutes left to go in the game. You don't got to start chucking threes. I, I did think that Carolina got away from what was working, which was give the ball to Armando Bacon and get whatever you want inside. Oh, they were chasing points. They were chasing points because they couldn't slow down the three-point shooting of Notre Dame late in the game. Yeah. It's- um, eight, eight to two in the fast break, two to one blocks. Notre Dame did outsteal Carolina seven to five, out-assisted Carolina. Notre Dame had 15 assists on their 29 made baskets. Carolina just 10 assists on their 29 made baskets, but then you, act, then you factor in those 14 turnovers, so a negative assist-to-turnover ratio, really a hard recipe to win, especially on the road. Which gets us to our quotes of the game. And it's quotes because we got three. And this was a very it was an, it was an, it was as emotional a Carolina post game press conference I can remember that excluded a NCAA tournament defeat or a loss to Duke because usually when your season ends, you're emotional and the the, the games against Duke that you lose, those are emotional because of how much goes into that one game. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to start with Armando Baycott because despite him scoring 21 points and grabbing 17 rebounds and literally keeping Carolina in the game, he felt the need to apologize not just to his coaches, to his teammates, but to the Tar Heel Nation after another uh, disappointing old, defeat. Hurt, I, mean, I don't know. I just want to figure it out. I mean, it's just bad. I, know, I just feel sorry for the fans, former coaches, former players. It's just unacceptable that we can't win these games with all the talent we have. And 
it's unacceptable that we're not paying attention to our coaches and just not, you know, just not playing Carolina basketball in those games specifically. I mean, we just going further in the season, we got to be more consistent just every game. We can't play good in some games and not good in others. I don't remember the last the last time I can remember a Carolina player apologizing. Especially one that shouldn't be the one apologizing because he wasn't a direct reflection of why Carolina got beat. I know it's a team game, and I know, sure, he got caught up in some switches, and he didn't close out a couple times. I get that, but neither did his teammates. But this is a guy that is a third-year player who entered Carolina with high expectations, and he suffered through the worst season in the in, in the Roy of, of Roy Williams' coaching career. He was a part of a team that led or, or, or con- concluded Roy Williams' thoughts to retire. You enter an offseason with a lot of hype and anticipation and then expectation, and you're underwhelming 10-4. and four. And this is a guy who has become what we wanted him to be the first day he arrived at campus, which was unrealistic expectations, but he's a double-double. He's averaging a double-double. He's your best player, and he's having to apologize? I thought that was really, first off, that's leadership, and this team needs that. Yep. But I thought that was that was one of the first things that caught my attention in the postgame. Let's go to the head coach. Hubert Davis. He has his coachism. Energy, effort, and toughness. Not three bad adjectives to talk about over and over again, but those three adjectives haven't shown up at times this season, and that left the head coach once again at a loss for words. I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer that. I, um... The reason that I don't know is because that's not me. So I don't I don't know how to experience that. I don't uh, as a as a basketball player, as a coach, as a husband, as a dad. I don't know how to do anything absent of emotion. My my biggest takeaway from that is the reason why you don't know that they didn't show what the energy, the effort, and the toughness is because you've allowed them to show up with that same mindset since you became the head coach, and it's a habit. You either you either coach that to happen or you allow that to happen. And that's where and that's where we are. He's allowing the team to show it without that energy, without that effort, without that toughness, despite saying when he took the job that North Carolina is going to show up. Whether it's at shoot-around, whether it's at practice, at the game, wherever, Carolina's going to be there. All, all during the summer, it was, we got to compete. We got to compete. We got to compete. Did you come? What happened during the summer? Did you compete yourself out against each other in the scrimmages? Because this shouldn't be happening. Not three times in 14 games. Not even three times in a season. But we're at a month-by-month basis right now where we expect that's going to happen. And this comes after after New Year's. You You challenged your team for 30 days. Let's play with energy. Let's play with effort. Let's play with toughness. Because if we do that, then that becomes a habit. Then you're not, then you come used to playing that way. And in five days, that went out the window. And you don't know. You don't know because you don't want to admit it's that that is a direct reflection of you. That's what that is. So you don't think this is fixable. Not not this year. Honestly, then it's not fixable at all. I, if that's something that he's not going to learn, that you've got to be able to coach out of, out of guys, it's not going to happen. Well, if it's just not. If he's a guy that doesn't feel like he can coach effort, 
then that's the mindset he's going to have. Well, and that's just something that you got to admit. You know, and I, I think I get where he's saying you shouldn't have to. You sh- you should never have to coach effort. That should be no matter what level of sport you're playing. I don't care if it's freaking t-ball. I shouldn't. When I'm coaching t-ball, if I got to coach effort, that kid's going to have a problem. Okay, well, you may have to coach effort with a four-year-old, but for guys that are getting college scholarships that have that that want to go and play professionally, you shouldn't be having to coach effort. And, and he comes from that old school age of thinking. Well, look, it's a different era. This is a different player, but you've you've got to find a way to connect with that. And I don't know if it's fix, fixable this season because. He's learning on the job. I get that. You've got a relatively new staff. They're learning how to coach with you. I get that as well. But to say I don't know, that's that's the one time where I need you to take accountability. This is my fault. This is my program, but and this is my fault. And he didn't. Because I don't I don't know. That's an excuse. You do know. But that might not be the worst thing we heard last night. Caleb Love might have topped it because Caleb admitted in the first half, well, he wasn't ready to play. I was just – I was drawing the first half, uh, no energy, um, not not getting my team my all, and, and I just had to turn it up um, for us to get get a chance. And um, I just tried to be that spark um, as soon as we as soon as the uh, whistle was uh, going, the second half, and – um, I just tried to give us a, uh, give us a spark, and unfortunately, we came out with a little It's a really good thing he said that after Roy Williams retired. Because had that statement come out with Roy Williams as the head coach of Carolina, I don't even want to know the sheer amount of suicides he'd be doing in the Smith Center at this very moment. I have never, ever heard a player admit to not playing hard. That's a culture problem from your head coach and then from your teammates. And what I get back to is this. If he admits it, and look, you and I could sit at our televisions and tell He's not playing hard. If I can see that and you can see that and our listeners can see that and your head coach, then your head coach can see that and nothing's happened. I know Carolina was down three players last night, but how many times has Carolina looked that, as, as bad as they have looked in, in, in their losses and nothing's being done? There's not there's not a benching. There's not a last night the walk-on should have been on the court for a minute or two. Something. And we just stayed the course. And look, I get they fought back in the second half. I'm not gonna get around though and sing Kumbaya because Notre Dame took a timeout and then it was back to 13 in two minutes. To have a player admit that. Th- that that might be that's that's right up there with Jeremiah Gimmel saying earlier this season we didn't prepare for a running quarterback after the Georgia oh, Tech man. game. Huh. That's 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 you know how dysfunctional You're, that sounds. I can't wait till the end of the year. Your worst Carolina quote of the year. Ah, uh, that that one, yeah, that one's up there. Um, you know, I, I want to try to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I think maybe he misspoke. Maybe it's. Uh, I, what he, I believe, was trying to say, trying to get into his mind of what he was thinking. Unfortunately, we was, took the L. Oh, it's unfortunate. Can I can I finish what I was saying or no? No, because once he said it's unfortunate we took the L, then then there's no benefit of the doubt. How how do you sit there nonchalantly? And unfortunately, we. You know how many I mean, that's, people? That's would, him. I, I don't. You know I, I don't would, really know. Would would kill to put on that jersey and to compete and and play for that university and to just nonchalantly say, "Well, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, we got beat. Losing is not acceptable here. It's not. 
I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, we've lost. If you want the kid kicked off the team? It is years. what it is. Like I don't you want, want the kid kicked off the team, but I want I want some I want some passion. We've lost thirty four games in two and a half it's not, years. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The, the, the some of these guys that are on the team right now, this is not this is not the old days. You just admitted that earlier. These the the, the kids these days, it's 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 different. They still care. Didn't didn't but Roy Williams just, retire because he didn't think he was reaching the players? I don't know. And this was the guy that was supposed to reach them the best, and he has a player, a guy that he changed the whole i i the whole thinking of the program to benefit the guards. This this was tailor made to get the most out of Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. I, I mean, I don't. To, I didn't play hard. I don't. I don't know. What, whatever I say, you're not going to care. You're, you're gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna have your opinion of him, and that's fine. You're gonna have the opinion that the kid doesn't care about basketball. He doesn't care about playing. Well, he just said that. I mean, I don't. I don't think that's what he meant. I think again, these are college kids that are up there talking to the media, and sometimes you're going to say stuff that comes out different than you meant it. I think the way that it's probably seen, and we've heard this before from guys, is that, look, clearly I didn't score well in the first half. Clearly I didn't play well in the first half. So that clearly wasn't a great effort for me. I need to be better. But that's for him, that's not how it came out. He he, he said it in a, different, in, a, in a way that was a little bit different, that you can kind of take whatever way you want to. Do I think that he needs to be... You know, a more vocal leader on the court? Yes, I think that's the biggest problem with this team. You can say whatever you want. I Look, love what Armando said after the game. That's great. The problem is he's not a vocal leader on the court. And here's the here's the thing. That's that's not something that I, I, I we, we were talking to a guy that you want to get on the podcast here soon. Earlier today on WFNZ, he's a former coach at the high school level and a couple other levels of travel basketball. Jerry Valancourt, who's been a longtime guy in in the radio industry here in the Charlotte area, and he's done that. He's done that the, the coaching as well. He said, "Look, if if you're not capable of something, then I'm not going to try to force that out of you." I don't know if there are vocal leaders on this team. I really don't. I don't know if there is a guy that is capable of being that vocal dude that demands excellence on the court on this roster right now. Because I don't see it. Like, maybe maybe I'm missing whoever that guy is. Maybe that guy's not playing yet. But do you see a guy out there on the court that is constantly vocalizing the issues that are going on with the team. You just don't see that, and that's what they're lacking, and that's what they've been lacking for the last couple of years. I mean, you saw a little bit of it with Cole Anthony, but even still, like when when things aren't going the way that it is planned, Carolina has had guys over the last couple of years that it, it honestly just looks like they shut down on the, and they just they don't they don't know what to say. And you, you don't have – you need a guy on these teams like Tyler Hansborough. And now he was he was another level. There's a, there's a reason he was named Psycho T. Bryce Johnson, those were next-level dudes that were just animals. And look, if you didn't play well, they would tell you, you suck. Let's pick it up. But there are other guys that have been – even you could – you need a guy like Marcus Page, Joel Berry, those guys that, look, we didn't always see them vocal on the court, basically Roy on the court because of clearly how how vocal and how – how I'm blanking on the word here for for, for Roy on the sidelines. Animated? That's – Yeah. I mean, you, you you saw that in those guys on the court, but you had these steady vocal presences that would tell you at times, hey, man, we ain't playing the way we need to. You don't have that on this team. And that's, it's killing you right now. Stay out of the game, I think it's pretty easy. 
Um, we're going to go three-point percentage, mainly because one guy beat you, and that was Nate Lachesky, six of seven from behind the three-point line. Oh, we told you coming in. That was the way they were going to beat you. They shot, uh, it was only 42%, but 13 of 31. They entered the game only averaging making nine three-pointers per game. Pretty easy why, when you don't defend the three-point line, why you got beat. So we're going to take a break. We're going to give you this week's ad from DraftKings. Then we're going to get back into the loss against Notre Dame, kind of break down the X's and the O's, the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Got a general thought or two about the game, as uh, about the, few, the direction of the team as well before we get out of this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that will make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win a hundred in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TBPN, the Basketball Podcast Network, this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required, only one per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of the great offer I've been giving you over here on the Four Corners side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog side of things as now you've gone from Christmas, you got to get your wife, your special someone, something for Valentine's as well. Get over to DraftKings, use those promo codes. That's a great way to get some extra cash in your pockets. One thing that was starting to become noticeable under Hubert Davis was this the staff had gotten very good at making adjustments at halftime. You could see that in the wins over Michigan, the wins over Georgia Tech. That Carolina addressed what they were doing wrong or, or were struggling at. They addressed it, played better in the second half. As bad as Carolina looked in that first half, they were down four, and I thought they were going to win the ball game. They didn't deserve to win, but I thought they were going to win. Had they changed the way they defended ball screens? And we told you entering the game that Hubert Davis has adjusted the way they've defended ball screens from time this season, whether it's going over screens, under screens, who switched and what. Well, last night, Carolina switched one through five. No matter the no matter the 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 situation, time, score, shot clock, no matter what, Carolina switched. And it it single-handedly cost them the game because there was a lack of breakdown of communication and it left Lecheski open from behind the three-point line. But I thought at halftime, okay, you even if you just don't switch your fours and the fives and you just keep guarding them straight up, you've, you've got a chance to win. And instead, Carolina came out and they switched, and they switched, and they switched, and they got beat, and they got beat, and they got beat, and it never changed. It never changed. Even when Carolina got back into the game, which was maybe the worst thing that they did, was they got back, they erased a 13-point lead, took a one-point lead, for Christ's sake. But it still ended up costing them because there was defensive laps after defensive laps. And you know what I really thought about last night was, okay, yeah, I miss Roy Williams. But what did I tell you was one of the, if if there was a anything wrong with the staff he put together, not retaining Steve Robinson showed up last night. Because to have that guy who's been there for 30-something years to whisper in your ear, maybe we should do this. You didn't have that. 
And you, you didn't have to whisper that. And you just way. had that guy and they just they stayed the course. They stayed the course. What what happened from Sunday to Wednesday when you ex, when you ex, when you pressed full court? When you trapped? When you scrambled? Well, we did it with eight minutes to go in the game. It's too late then. They, oh, I, I, it, it wouldn't have mattered. It, they, they were already comfortable. In the, you never once, you never once made them uncomfortable. Wouldn't have mattered. You could have done that earlier in the game. This 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 team this team wasn't ready to play defensively last night. Didn't matter. No matter what you did, they, this this team's ability to rotate defensively is one of the worst I have ever seen in college basketball history. <laughs> They, I mean, they cannot rotate to save their life. They, they, there is any time that you have to try to close out on a guy that has been left open, it's 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 almost impossible. And you talked about the effort of Caleb Love in the first. His worst play easily was in the second half, where he stood and watched. I, I think it was Lejeski. I, I don't even know who hit the wide. There was a pass that literally went right by him, and he just stood there and watched because it wasn't his guy. And I thought um, or earlier today on WFNZ, we had Terrence Oglesby, who came on, former Clemson guard, now a guy with the field of 68. And I thought he made a heck of a point. He said, this is a team that looks like, just from watching them on the court, when guys get beat, they get mad at guys for getting beat. Mm. Where, look, it's 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 high major college basketball. It's going to happen from time to time. You need to worry about picking your teammates up, not pointing fingers and saying, well, it was his fault. Because that's what it looks like with this team. That at times, they're just saying, well, I wasn't my guy that I was supposed to be on. Yeah. So I'm not going to rotate to him because it's not my that, that wasn't my assignment. And yeah, I mean, the switching is just, that that's, it's unbelievable. I, I just I, I don't like get it. There have been times where I thought he made the right adjustments in how they defended screen action. You go back to, uh, I believe it was the Furman game. They defended, they, they changed the way they defended the screens and who switched and what. Every time you switch yesterday, especially when you had the big man lineup of both Manic and Baycott on the court, dude, the amount of times that Manic got switched onto Wesley in that first. Every half. time you oh switch that, God. you put your guys at a disadvantage. Which brings me back to another thing we thought we would see more of in the game, which was the small ball lineup with just the one big leaky at the four, and then three guards, and maybe. Maybe Kerwin Walton's absence really affected that game plan going in. So here's the here here's the problem. I think 100% it did because without Manic on the floor, you pretty much you you were handicapped offensively last night as it was. Let's just call it what it is. That that team last night did not look anywhere near the team that we saw offensively throughout the year because your best guy off the bench doesn't really help you offensively. You've got a starter that you know doesn't really help you offensively, and neither one of those guys were really able to step up and and, and give you much. So you kind of needed Brady Manick out on the floor on the offensive end because, I mean, look, even if you put in that small ball lineup, I mean, you're wondering, I guess, because we're switching so often and that's not really working, how are, are are we still going to be able to stop this team? And if we don't, how do we how do we match them scoring wise? I they're they're I think that part you were kind of in a no win situation there because with without Kerwin, you you were stuck because it, it, with that small lineup on the floor, you would add Leaky Black and Anthony Harris on the floor offensively, and you're going to be limited scoring wise. It's just that simple. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I just don't get why it wasn't out there in in the first half because it was primarily because both Manic and Baycott did a really good job staying out of foul trouble. Those two guys played, which is kudos for them for playing defense without fouling because you needed you needed them to last night with no Dawson Garcia. Well, it's also it's also uh, pretty easy to not foul when you got a dude that one of their big guys. All he does is stand outside. And no offense to Paul Atkinson on the inside. First of all, he got into foul trouble, so they went super small at times. And the other thing was, he's not really that intimidating of a presence inside. Carolina handled him relatively easily. Yeah, yeah. So, another negative from last night's game individually was something that I think this should have been hindsight 2020. 
And I, I even asked Isaac Shade about this, and, and he disagreed. Last night, not playing DeMarco Dunn and Dontrez Styles during the non-conference season, the type of minutes that we're used to seeing freshmen play, it cost them last night because you're without Kerwin, you're without Justin McCoy. You knew at least, especially with DeMarco, because he has kind of broken more into the rotation than Dontrez, you knew you were going to count on one or both of them, and they just simply weren't ready because they haven't played enough. They don't have enough experience, one, and two, confidence to make the type of plays. Because there were plays that were there to be made last night for both those guys. They got, and look, they had shots that they should have, should should they have made? Yes. And maybe in March they make those shots. But they could have made those shots last night had they played in November and December in the second half when games were over. I don't get until... Until COVID goes away, at least, or at least until it's calmed down to the point where it's not affecting your lineup on a game-to-game basis, because that's what you're dealing with right now. You don't know how long you're going to be without Kerwin and Justin McCoy. You're supposed to find out today if those guys are going to be ready to go on Saturday. You don't know from game to game who's going to be able to play. Wouldn't you want to have as many guys available to be ready to play and contribute? Because cause, cause I, I certainly think had they played in November and December against the Elons and the Furmans and the Tennessee Techs when the games were over midway through the second half, maybe, just maybe, they would have been more prepared to make the plays that were there for them to be made last night. Well, there were a lot of games that were still in question. That's the problem. You never really blew anybody out to the point where you could say, okay, we can comfortably put these guys in. You always felt like there's still a chance these teams can get back into these games. I mean, outside, the game that you you did that in was the last game you played in. That was the most convincing win of the season because early in the year, we thought, okay, well, Loyola, you're going to see those guys because you shouldn't have that much issue with them. You did. So you couldn't play him in that game. Brown, oh, Jesus, you almost lost that game with the way that you played. So they were not going to see playing time in that game, couldn't play against College of Charleston. So that's the problem. You didn't have a lot of these opportunities where you would get to see these guys. And I get it. COVID is a thing, but early in the season, that was something that you, honestly, you probably lulled yourself, just like most of us, you probably lulled yourself into a sense of, you know, the worst of this is behind us. We're not going to see those moments. Maybe we'll see a game where a guy is out of the lineup. But we're probably not going to see waves where we're going to have multiple guys out of the lineup. It's unfortunate that it hit, but I just, I don't know how many other games you could have really forced these guys in. Elon was the one that I think we all looked at and said, okay, you probably could have put him in in that game. Because even though you never really were able to get into an extremely comfortable situation against them, mainly because we knew going into that game, one of the better three-point shooting teams that Carolina was going to face, that was the one thing that they did well. You, 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 they're, they're, for, for the majority of time, you felt like, man, there, there are a couple of shots from this being a single-digit game again. So that was probably the only game. Outside of that, I don't really have much issue because Furman was looked at as a pretty big win for Carolina at the time. And that was another game where yeah, you, you felt like yeah, you were in a in a solid spot, but you knew all they have to do is string together a couple of shots here and they're right back in this thing. So that that's that's the only thing. I, I think, you know, with Dunn. You know, again, these guys are freshmen. You could you couldn't expect a ton from these guys coming into this game. I'm more frustrated with the fact that you didn't see some of your other guys step up. You didn't see, you know, you had Caleb Love saying, "Look, I didn't play my best." It's like, well, look, I mean, this is a game where you kind of got to step up and play your best. With all these guys out of the lineup at a conference game, yeah, this is one of those games where the energy level has to be high and everybody has to be playing their best. But we didn't see that. Those are more the guys that I take issue with rather than the freshmen and the fact that they didn't really play a whole lot. There was, or there is something positive that comes out of this. 
and hopefully we don't look back and it, it looks like what happened to Garrison Brooks during 2019-20 where it's a lost season. Armando Baycott's becoming that guy. He's a dude. He's 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 averaging a double double. He scored twenty one, grabbed seventeen rebounds last night. Carolina's best offense still goes inside the paint, whether it starts on the perimeter or not. When the ball gets into the painted area to number five, usually good things happen. Nine of thirteen again from the field last night. I do think he's gotten a lot better at demanding the ball and calling for the ball. And I think they've done a good job of, for the most part, of understanding, okay, the big fella's eating. We're going to let him eat. And and I think I think that's something that, you know, we've got to take appreciation of because we didn't know if he was going to do that this year. Mm-hmm. We were hoping he was going to take that next step and say, I'm the best player. Give me the ball. Because Kessler isn't here, which, by the way, God, he looked good in Carolina Blue because he's doing some big-time things at Auburn again. Uh, Sharp, of course, in the NBA, balling off the bench. Garrison Brooks doing some nice things for you Mississippi State. There's not the log jam that was there last year. So that's been a positive sign. He's becoming a leader by example with his level of play. You want the, you want the vocal leadership to follow. But it's been really fun because he's, he's the player we thought he was going to be as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. But you could attest that to injuries to him and the whole entire team. Never, no one was ever in a rhythm. Last year, you had four other guys, and you had a freshman backcourt that know how to play, you know, the, the right way. When this team plays the right way, and it's the he's the focal point, you can see why we have expectations for this team. You could see why Carolina can still be a really good team because he's a really good player. And it really just stinks that he had his best individual game of his career. And he's having to apologize to us, to me, to you, to everybody, because Carolina didn't win. Yeah, he's take I mean, he's gotten so much stronger with the ball. That was one of the main things that we were concerned about. Just really the strength at the rim as a whole. Um, and I mean, look, from time to time, you still see some of those wild shots that he throws up because he's trying to contort his body and, and draw the foul to try to force an end one opportunity. And, and, you, and you say to yourself, look, just, you know, just finish at the basket. I mean, don't worry if the foul comes, the foul comes. It is what it is. But I think for the most part, he, he's done a really good job of adjusting that. And he's done a really good job, as you said, of being that leader by example. Like I said earlier, I don't think this is a guy that can be your vocal leader. That's just not that's not him. And that's fine. You got to find that guy. I don't know if that guy's on the roster right now. That's concerning. But yeah, they, they, this is a guy that's consistently night in and night out giving his best effort. And he's clearly taken on the role as your best player and is running with it and doing a heck of a job. I mean, look, it's not on the level of that streak that we saw in that 1920 season from Garrison Brooks, but it's 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 pretty close. He's about as consistent as it gets. And even early in the season, there were moments where that was missing from his game. Now it's night in, night out. Mondo's giving you at least 15 a game. And, and that is even the growth in season is what you were hoping to see early on in the year. So he's doing everything that he needs to do. Um, I also thought last night, I thought R.J. Davis played a heck of a game last he night did. too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some shots that you know maybe left you scratching your head, but he knocked down a heck of a lot of them. Well, I mean, you know, he, he, he buried that deep three that still theoretically gave you a chance with seven seconds to go. Mm-hmm. I do think he's found his rhythm because he was really good at Boston College. And, and I and I thought last night he was really really good. It was last night was another situation where the ball should have been in his hands instead of Caleb Love's in the first half. It it wasn't. Yep. And the other thing you got to commend him on his effort. He was a he played with effort the whole night. I saw it from him. There, there were other guys I was I was concerned about from him. I didn't question. There him. hasn't been many times where I looked at RJ and have to question because as talented as he is, and he's a talented player. He's an undersized guard. Mm-hmm. Like, he has to play hard to get the results that he's getting. Yeah, sometimes I think the thing we're concerned about is he gets a little out of control. Right. So And, and, and you know, I'm at the point with this team 
that my complaining level isn't going to be as high if a guy is trying to make something happen Mm -hmm. as opposed to not making something happen. Now, look, because I'm a miserable person, I'm still going to complain. Of course, of course. That's you. But it's it's, it's a different level of complaining because... I always, the, le- the levels of complaining. Please explain that to me. I do have a complain meter that... Oh, my God. That do... Are you serious? Well, I mean, you, you listen to me while we watch games together, and the things that I complain about, most people wouldn't complain about. They're legitimate complaints because I see the game differently than from you and, and other people. All right, let me write this down. But... complain ometer. That's going to be something later on this yes. year. Okay. All right. I have... Yeah. There's, di- <laughs> but you know that's and that's that's where uh, I'm at with RJ, and he, I I like I like when he's aggressive, and I like when he's in that attack mode. But I think it comes back to it's like they say in football: if you don't, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. Carolina has two combo guards; they don't have a point guard, and you can you can play. You can play really good basketball like that. You can win a lot of basketball games with two combo guards instead of a point guard. But that comparison that Hubert Davis used all during the summer of, well, in 15 and 16, we used Marcus Page and Joel Berry. Well, the difference between those two guys and Love and Davis was those were two point guards, not two combo guards. They were point guards. They were floor leaders, and they knew how to play off of one another. Caleb and and R.J., they're they're still learning, and and do we do we forget that there were times where we weren't exactly thrilled with the results well, from and, Marcus and Joe? Like, yeah, I remember one was a senior and one was a sophomore who, right. as a freshman, was a glorified reserve, didn't play. Right. So th- even that comparison is different. So you know, it was it was just it was another. By the way, does he not he, if? You are looking for a guy on the roster that can be that vocal leader. I, I would that would be the guy I would challenge. Well, look, because I think RJ could be that guy. He's going to be here the longest because I don't know if he'll be an NBA player. Yeah, he's a four year guy, I think. You know, and, and so that that that's something though where either he's got to come into a zone or Hubert Davis or one of those guys. You've got to you're going to have to get him because Joel Berry wasn't like that. Marcus Page, you, I mean, sometimes you got to coach a guy to be a leader, but you've got to start cultivating that now and, and, and getting that. Because I do think whenever he chirps because he's mouthy on the court, I do think it resonates because here's a 5'10 guard who's chopping off at a 6'11 guy who could easily, you know, slam him down if he wanted to. So Right. I, I The thing I wonder with him is, is he looking at some of the older guys like Mondo and, and, and even Manic to a certain extent and saying, look, you know, these I, I don't want to try to speak over these guys since they're veterans. But I think he need, I, like I think it, it it needs to be told to him by the staff and mainly by Hubert Davis that, look, you're the guy that we look at and we see vocal leader. We need you to be that guy because no, these other guys are. That's that's not them. They're not going to step up. Look, we've heard them in press conferences say stuff. And that's fine. And I don't get me wrong. I believe that they. I, I believe what Bra- what Brady Manick said earlier in the season, and what Armando Baycott said last night. I think they truly believe that. But the problem is, is when they're on the court, they just they're so focused on their game. They're in the zone. They, they they are just not guys that vocalize that throughout the game. Where well, I think R.J. Davis could be that guy, but I think it's it, yeah, it's up to the coaching staff to kind of make him recognize that. Look, you're 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 that guy. You're the one that you're the most talkative on the court. We need you to step up and be that guy. Because even if you're looking at another veteran guy, Leaky Black's not that guy either. Nope. So. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I had two discussion thoughts. We're going to save those for the Virginia preview um, in the next edition of the podcast. So with that, guys, do want to get you to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. I had you covered for the Notre Dame game. I'll be getting you ready for Virginia on Saturday with the preview and recap and all that great stuff, as well as I continue to take you through the basketball season, football side of things, a busy week for Carolina, more players for the NFL draft, more players to the transfer portal and maybe 
just maybe a coaching change or two on the horizon for Tar Heel football. So make sure you go to the website, heeltoughblog.com. That way you don't miss any of our football or basketball coverage. As for the podcast side of things, you know where to find us on the Basketball Podcasting Network. We now host through Megaphone, but you can find us on every major podcasting platform. Like the podcast, review the podcast, review me as the host, review Anthony as the co-host. But most importantly, Hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss an episode of the Four Corners Podcast during the basketball season. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I do want to thank Anthony for co-hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.